IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. And Kirsten, as we continue our conversations with conscious leaders everywhere, I'm just so struck by the fact that people are trying to take what they know is doing right, but really putting it into practice. What about you? Yeah, we're seeing that in a lot of different ways, Mark, aren't we? Where I mean, we've been talking to a lot of guests about this great resignation, the shift in leadership itself, the you know principles of ESG and diversity and inclusion. You know, it's no longer we do right when it feels okay. It seems to be more of it's time we do right for the right reasons because that's how we should be living. Period regardless of the social pressure to drive profits and profits only. Well, yes. And we always have said we need to make the quarterly numbers or we need to hit our sales goals, but we we need to still keep our soul's purpose in mind, don't we? We do. And everyone else's, right? It's no longer just about the I, it's about the we. Well, it's in that context that we're just so happy to have as our guest today, Barbara Ryan. Barbara, welcome to our program. Oh, it's great to be here, Mark. And nice to see you too, Kristen. Thank you. Barbara's background. She has now founded a capital markets and communications firm, but this follows a 30-year career on Wall Street. She was a managing director for Deutsche Bank uh, in the areas of healthcare and biotech and pharmaceuticals. She's a longtime advocate for diversity inclusion. We've been saying DEI now as a handle and an abbreviation, but Barbara has lived this for a number of years, and we're just so glad to expand this conversation and, and bring you into it, Barbara. Well, I'm so happy to be here and thank you for including me. You know, one of the things we think of right off the bat when we think about leadership, you know, people think about the star CEO or the president of a company driving, but you also look at it from the board's point of view. You're on the board of a number of companies. How does the board help shape these leadership principles at a company? Well, I think that, you know, the board is both to have, you know, an advisory and a supervisory role. And I think it's very important to have diversity on your board. And when I say diversity, I don't necessarily mean, you know, women versus men or nationalities. Certainly by design, boards want to have diversity in terms of skill set and experience. And I think that the importance of diversity as it relates to gender I think comes from the fact that I, as a woman starting out at Bear Stearns at 20 years old, had a completely different life experience than Mm -hmm. Tom, Dick, or Harry, who started out at 20 years old at Bear Stearns, right? It was sort of the wild, wild west, and there weren't many women for me to look up to and aspire. And I think it shaped who I am as a leader over time. Certainly, you know, your experiences do that. And, And I think men, you know, have a very different path. So I think diversity really is an attempt to achieve diversity of thought and experience in order to come to the right decisions for everyone, rather than having blinders because everybody's sort of had the exact same experience and looks 
almost identical. When you're looking at creating diverse cultures, if you will, to your point, everybody comes with different thoughts, different experiences, and there tends to be tension and conflict as you are starting out conversations and beginning to evolve it and move it forward to call it a higher consciousness, right? The best for everybody involved. How do you navigate those tensions as you're beginning to set out to build a diverse culture of thought? That's a really, really good point. And I think, you know, it really starts with um, creating a safe environment where people feel that their opinions are valid. And most importantly, that they're not intimidated or afraid to share their opinions. And I think that that good leaders basically want that and facilitate that, right? Rather than, you know, there can be an autocratic leader, but that doesn't really lead to diversity of thought. And I think, you know, there's another element that we're experiencing now in our economy broadly, but certainly in biopharma, and that is the scarcity of talent. And people have options, right? And so if they're not feeling that they are in a positive work environment where they can contribute uh, and they can be heard, then they're probably going to look elsewhere. And your best talent has the most options, right? So you'll lose the best people first if you don't create an environment of doing good by doing good. And so I think, you know, there can be a bifurcation that will take place in biopharma related to the performance of companies, right? Because those that are performing the best, those are the, that's where the talent wants to go. And I think people care about quality of life and a lot of other things for, versus only the paycheck. Uh, and it's so very, true. very important to, I think for leaders to appreciate that that is the case. And oftentimes the board certainly now I think is embracing that but you're also representing the investors. Many board members are investors themselves, especially in startups. They put the money in. They want to be mm -hmm. on the board to watch it, as you say, supervise it as well. But thinking about the investor as a stakeholder, you know, mm -hmm. in this idea of doing right for the environment, you know, for good governance of the companies and for the people, um, where, where does that representation, I guess the investor voting with mm -hmm. their dollars, well, it's an it's interesting question because diversity female leadership is very, very passionate about. But I also am always have my Wall Street hat on. You know, I started working at Bear Stearns really when I was 17 years old, a freshman in college. And, you know, I've, I've been in capital markets my entire life and I'm 62 years old now. So that's a long time. I have to often be brave enough in board meetings or with management teams that hire me to represent the shareholder and to raise my hand and advocate for them when I think it's appropriate. Now, at the end of the day, I'm just sharing my point of view. Doesn't mean they're going to agree or to follow it, but I think sometimes you get a lot of, Kirsten, to your word, conflict um, around um, the stakeholders, certainly with emerging biotech companies where they have VC investors on their boards. So they're not necessarily evolved to the level where a mature company would just have subject matter experts, not investors. They would have all independent directors on their board. And sometimes the VC firm you know, is more focused on their fund and liquidity or whatever. And ours, biopharma, is definitely a long game. It's the long game, right? It's, it's really complex, highly regulated, takes a long time and costs a lot of money. 
So a question for you, because I know you've had a long journey and I'm really excited to hear how you even navigated Wall Street from 20 in. I, I too was one of the only females in many boardrooms and executive level positions. And it's different for today's young leaders than it was for me when I started, right? Along that point, however, what we're watching, especially in pharmaceutical, there's very little people of color beyond even a management position, mm-hmm. let alone in the company itself, in the company itself, right? Maybe the mm-hmm. researchers and the developers. How does in today's culture, do we begin infusing a representation of what our country actually looks like, a global makeup rather than, because we know as females what it took for us to mm-hmm. insert ourselves. Now California has initiatives to require mm-hmm. female board members, but Nowhere are we speaking to other aspects of diversity. You bring up a great point. We are not, in terms of any minority, where we should be, but we've come a long way. So I think about what I experienced when I was 20 and what I see the 20-year-old ladies Mm -hmm. coming into the workforce are experiencing, and it's night and day. And so that's the good news. Um, I think for people of color, that's not the case. And I think, you know, one one of the people that's, I think, most insightful Uh, and instructive on that has been Ken Frazier, the former CEO of um, Merck. And, you know, it starts with education. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things that he talked about is that companies actually go after those individuals and provide them with the opportunities and education at a starting level. Maybe they're not coming in where someone would come into the company after being a college graduate, but putting them to the co- through college and targeting that, right? It's kind of like, well, you know, we, we want a female board, board member, but, you know, we met all these guys and they're great fit. And it's like, well, if you, if you really want a female in the seat, then only go after females, mm-hmm. right? And so, <laughs> and make it happen. I think, you know, that, that basically, I don't think they're, not all minorities have the same opportunity, right? So if you're African-American growing up in, in a, being raised by a single mom, let's say, their opportunity was different than mine, even though when I entered the workforce, you know, I, w- I was a minority. I, I grew up with three girls and, and my mom. And so my, my parents were divorced when I was very young. And I literally never, ever thought there wasn't anything I could do that I couldn't do. To me, it's always been a function of how badly do I want to do it? But I think women now, they see an example. Emma Walmsley, the CEO of GlaxoSmithKline, they see women leaders, right? And they have something to aspire to. I think there are certain minorities, they, they don't experience that in their everyday life, right? So we have to bring them in. Talent comes in all shapes and sizes, right? Well, talking about the board's role in that, you've been on say the compensation committee, they're the governance committee, the audits committee. How much of this do you put into the leadership's uh, compensation goals? In other words, it's not just about your sales and it's not just about hitting the numbers. Are you seeing these other kind of uh, sustainability, environment, diversity, inclusion type goals included in the compensation packages? You know, I, I think tell it you, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. I love that question. <laughs> like put your money where your mouth is, right? Make it action versus ideation. Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. Um, you know, most of the companies that, that I'm on the board, they're, they're very small. Two of them are private. Two of them are, are, you know, newly public. And most of them, you know, are running on a string relative to people 
financial resources. And so I think that there is a broad agreement on those initiatives, but I don't really think they're very mature in terms of actually being put implemented into put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. I think, you know, a lot of these companies, because it's not sales and earnings driven, it's trying to get through an IND or phase one clinical trial, phase two clinical trial, you know, there happens to be in STEM a lot of diversity. So I think that, you know, in that area um, that I work in, I actually see two of my four companies have female CEOs. Yeah, good examples then. Which is not representative of the, the, the aggregate, right? But at least in mine, it's 50%. It's, start. it's yes. 50%. I was, I was just thinking about STEM in general. I know my daughter, um, there is such a high demand to put diversity into STEM. So the colleges are actually putting a lot of effort into ensuring there are um, you know, different forms of financial support to make that happen, right? So that's making a huge difference. And I also think a lot of the minority families have really understood go into technology or STEM and that's where the money is in the future, right? So there's mm -hmm. a shift towards that. But I really wanna to point to that educational component that you spoke to, right? And also the smaller companies because I've been in various stages of companies, right? You made a really good point. Talent is talent. So if you want it, look for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do we, again, I, I know it's kind of beating a stick on a dead horse, right? But the standard, I, I just heard something in conscious leadership in a conscious capitalism forum. And they said, if it's not at the start, then you've lost the battle to begin with. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really embrace that for even things that I'm creating, right? Like if I don't have diversity and I stick to the standard pattern of white, male, female, I'm at the same starting point, right? Mm -hmm. At every other company. So how do we challenge this status quo of, I don't have enough money because seed money is hard to come by. It mm -hmm. really is. It's hard to come by and shoestring budgets as you evolve are, you know, it leaves air out of the room. We've all been there mm -hmm. building companies, right? So well, how do I continue challenging is the question. I, I guess, you know, what occurred to me, but you know, from your question is philanthropy is obviously very, very big in STEM and especially women in STEM. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, money organizations have gotten behind that. And I think, you know, scholarships is certainly one way of identifying, you know, people that want and aspire to get that kind of an education and get that kind of an entry level science job. And so for companies to have initiatives where they're actually going out there and identifying who you know could participate because there's all kinds of programs in high schools and things like that. So tapping in younger and investing in those people who can be the stars of the future. And you know, a lot of those people don't take though those who don't have the opportunity to go to college but want to, don't take it lightly. I mean, my my oldest son's girlfriend went into the Air Force. Um, and that was her only path to college. And boom, four years later, she's done. Now she's in college and she's getting straight A's. And I really respect and admire her. Now, she probably was annoyed that Brian had it easy. His mother wrote the check and he had his own car. Um, you know, and I bet that she probably, while my son appreciates his education and is, is a great guy, I bet she, she appreciates it even more. 
All right. Let's hear it for the sons and the uh, girlfriends. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. I love it. Making it happen. You know, Barbara, on our podcast, sometimes we elevate this conversation a little higher. You've been in this industry almost like it's a calling your entire career. Mm-hmm. You know, this word IntelliKey that we title our podcast has more to do with the human potential. We've been talking about seeds of capital and seeds of talent, but this is really seeds of consciousness. Do you feel like there's a higher purpose to what you've been doing uh, across your career here? Yes. I mean, it's interesting. Um, when I left Wall Street as a sell-side analyst, um, I probably stayed too long. Um, I wasn't at the edge of my seat. I wasn't as hungry and aggressive as I, I had been in my younger years, just because I'd been doing it so long, right? It's like, oh, I can't listen to another Merck earnings call and write a review <laughs> and update my model and talk to investors about what it means, you know? <laughs> But Did you I, know FDA I, delayed their approval? No, no yeah, kidding. and no I, I, I stayed longer because quite frankly, I was like, I don't know what else I'm qualified to do. And I thought, well, you know, you're never going to figure that out until you leave and bungee jump and, and, you know, figure that out. And I'll tell you, almost every skill and relationship that I built as a sell-side analyst, I use today, just mm-hmm. turning it in a route another way. Instead of writing research reports and doing models, I write press releases to tell a story to investors. I, I do investor you know, pitch decks to help them raise money. But my client isn't Joe Hedge Fund that all they're generating is alpha, more cash. My client is a company that passionately is trying to get a, a, a product to the finish line to improve the lives of patients. And I did have the great fortune of working for a company that was in the rare disease field. And because I was the investor contact and on all the press releases, mothers, fathers, families almost weekly would contact me. My son has a G542X mutation. Um, He has cystic fibro. And it's just, you are so close to the patient. And in most cases, these are genetic. So the, the patients are born with them these diseases and are diagnosed probably by the time they're six months of age. And it's really important work. And I get so annoyed when even well-educated friends of mine moan um, about the price of drugs. They just don't understand how hard it is, how risky it is, and how passionate so many people. I mean, this notion that the COVID vaccines came overnight. No, no, that'd be decades decades and tens of billions of dollars invested. And in the nick of time, look where they brought us. They literally opened up our lives, opened up the economy. We're, we're far cry further along. And I think it's such important work. And I'm always amazed at the quality of people that I work with. Now, is this every single person in the biopharma industry? No, of course it isn't. <laughs> but you know, if anyone ever told you that you were gonna go into a field and that 90% of the time you try something, you're going to fail. Most people wouldn't think that was a big idea. Hmm. And, and nobody really understands the power of failure Failure until you actually have failed. Right? Exactly. It's not easy to get back up and try again and keep going. Do you know how long break. Moderna has been at this without ever commercializing a drug? Right. So I I would like to bridge to your experience. You now also, if I understand correctly, help women begin to take their passion and shift into the next level and look for board positions and participate at board positions in a different level. How did you get to that point where you knew one, you wanted to be on boards and two, 
you want to share that experience and help other women begin to realize that dream because that is potential. So it kind of started with the latter first. So I think largely because when I started out on Wall Street, I just felt alone. I felt like everything I did, I had to do it alone. You know, I wasn't in the, all the conversations seemed to take place in the men's room and I didn't get the memo. Um, That's so funny. The- I was telling somebody the other day, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, I can relate. I got so upset because all the conversations were in the men's bathroom. And I just couldn't go in. Like I wouldn't be allowed if I, you know, it would be yeah, inappropriate. I didn't want to go, but, you know? You know, but I mean, I remember so vividly one of my bosses coming to me because our boss said something to him, a relative to me in the men's room. And, you know, by, by this time, I'm probably closing in on 30. And I finally went to my boss and I said, boss, boss. And I said, you know, if you have something to say, He's not my daddy, you know, please say it to me. And so, you know, going to the golf course, the same thing. So I just always felt alone. And then probably around the time I was turning 50, I realized, wow, I've met all these super cool women and they've all like been on the same track as me, but we think we have to pick up our bag of stones and do it all by ourselves. We can't ask anybody. We can't have a mentor, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think early on, was almost this perception of playing musical chairs. Like there's only one chair for a girl. So yeah, I got to get there fast, you know, rather than, <laughs> rather than being a community of Red Rover, Red Rover, I got you, you know? And so I decided that I had to bring all these women together. So I started doing like salon dinners in New York City. And it was like, it was like you were feeding the hungry. We all like had the same experience and just coming together. It was like nourishment. And it spawned all kinds of friendships. It spawned business deals, all kinds of things. So I formed a non-for-profit called Fabulous Pharma Females. And I do a sit-down dinner at JP Morgan when we were going to JP Morgan. And then I finally invited the men to co-host with me because I think just having all women, you know, perpetuates the problem. If we had, if we, if guys said, we're going to have an all white male dinner and you can't come, we wouldn't like that, right? That's how it started. And we all, I said, the men do a better job at teamwork than we do, right? And that we are a community and everyone should feel free to come to this group with an ask. My ask was to, you know, get help on boards, but that didn't come for, you know, eight years. I was just doing this. Quite frankly, I felt like it was the biggest gift I ever gave myself. I had a squad, I had this whole community of people and that we had very, very similar experiences, many experiences that were quite different. You know, you know, most successful women will tell you that they do not have a house husband sitting at home. Mm-hmm. They still do the work of a, an at-home mom. And dads don't torture themselves over gosh, I just had kids. Should I stay home and not work? Is it really selfish that I'm going to the office? But women do. Even I out earned my husband, but I still had that emotional battle, right? And if something went wrong at home in spades, right? So that's kind of how it started. And, um, you know, so many women have helped me and I feel that we have an obligation to help other women. And to, you know, to help younger women rise up and to support one another, right? Uh, I think it, it's, it makes you feel good. Um, you know, people talk about networks and I like to 
replace that with relationships. It's not just going out there or handing out cards. It's a relationship. It's a give and take. What are you bringing? You know, and it's the people that know you, trust you, that you're there for. They're there for you. That's how it works. Fantastic. Very encouraging. Very inspirational. Well, Barbara, we've enjoyed our conversation so much. And I know listeners are going to want to connect with you and follow your work. Where can we find you? You can find me at b.ryan12 at me.com or, you know, send me a, a post on LinkedIn. Very good. We'll put those in the show notes. Yeah. So, Barbara, as we think about Kirsten's question earlier about the start, if someone came to you today and said, I want to start a different kind of a journey, I, I want to take this to a higher level, maybe to a higher consciousness, if we could get to that, but certainly a higher purpose, what would you tell them? First, I think it starts with, you know, kind of really understanding for yourself, what's your North Star? Where are you going? Right? Because you can't ever communicate that to someone else if you don't really know yourself. And then I think you, you have to go after it, like with the campaign, with the board, I, I, I developed what I call the campaign. I knew it wasn't going to happen without me. Um, and, and the first part of that was raising my hand and telling people that that's what I aspired to do, right? Particularly people who had the same profile as me, because they would be the ones that would be getting the calls for the opportunities that would be a fit for me. Uh, and I think, you know, being very clear, I developed what I call the board resume, explaining to the reader what actually is my skill set, what have I done, and therefore what kind of value could I provide to any company, and then and then asking others for help and being there to help others. So encouraging. Well, very Kirsten, powerful. I think we've learned a lot about. Again, as we said at the outset, leaders like Barbara putting the principles into practice. Without a doubt. And building community, right? I think that's my one takeaway. There are several takeaways, so I don't want to diminish it down to one. That being said, I really love that focus because I agree that women, it was like there was no oxygen in the room for more mm -hmm. than one female, right? Really? And learning to come together in relationship, but then also co-partnering with our male counterparts, right? Exactly. And creating something, a future that's different. It's so inspirational. We're not leaving men behind either. Right. And you know what? If, if your aspiration is to be in the C-suite or to be on a board, whatever it is, if 95% of the seats or 90 are occupied by men, you better be engaged with the men. And there are a lot of men out there who, who advocate for women, who want to advocate for women, have daughters that want them to be treated, you know, the same way. And it was interesting because I had Ken Frazier, um, Jeff Kindler, um, Bob Ward, a bunch of people who were generous enough to co-host my dinner. And they all left there like, I have never been at such a joyous work event. You guys were all hugging each other and laughing. And I think it demystified the whole thing because I think there's an element where men rightfully so think, what do they, what are they talking about how much we suck? I mean, what actually right. are they doing at this thing? And they realize we're doing exactly what they're doing. You know, maybe we talk less about sports, more about our kids and shoes. But other than that, it's kind of the same thing. It's good to share the room, though, to break down some of those stereotypes, too. What, what if there is a group talking about basketball over at the ladies' dinner? Then great. 
That's fantastic. <laughs> I bet you there are a lot of women that are just as into it, if not more than the men, right? There, there you go. Well, what a wonderful conversation. And Barbara, we can't thank you enough for being our guest. Oh, I can't thank you enough. It was really a, a great pleasure to speak with you. And I really appreciate the invite. Thanks, Mark and Kirsten. Thank and you. listeners, come back again next time. We're going to continue these conversations about conscious leadership, leaders making an impact, not only on profits, but also for people and planet. And that's what IntelliKey, your soul's purpose, your human potential is all about. So come back again next time for another episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. For Kirsten Goldie, I'm Mark Stenson. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintelliKey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.